is where we are tonight. And uh, tonight I've entitled this psalm, He Shall Reign Forever and Ever. And as we look at this psalm tonight, this psalm, uh, and I guess it's been maybe a couple weeks, but Psalm 9, the previous psalm to this, is a psalm that we looked at that it was prophetic in nature. Now, just to try to help you understand that God oftentimes, even in the book of Psalms, He would uh, group together some of these psalms on purpose. So Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 that we're going to look at tonight really go together. Psalm 10 is a continuation of Psalm 9. And as you look at these, they are both prophetic, dealing with what we call end times. There's portions of the Bible when you look at them that unless you really understand the context behind them, it's really hard to understand that particular book or chapter, whatever it may be. So these would be what you would call doctrinally about eschatology. Now, just to back up a little bit and help with tonight's Bible study, Psalm 9 was a psalm that emphasized the enemy. Remember, we talked about the beast the Bible talks about, uh, and you could read about in the book of uh, Revelation. But Psalm 9 deals with the enemy, but it's the enemy, listen, outside of the nation of Israel. So that's what Psalm 9 deals with, is the enemy outside the nation of Israel. But this psalm tonight deals and emphasizes the enemy inside the nation of Israel. Quite a difference, uh, because this one would be dealing with what is inside. Both of these psalms is really the writer, and we understand God allowing David to pen these words, the writer is looking down through the ages of time. In other words, prophetically, he wasn't there, he didn't see this firsthand, but here's what he could see as he's writing he could see what God is referencing to what is oftentimes referred to as the lawless one. The one who law means nothing to him. In other words, this individual does whatever he wants. By the way, doesn't that remind you of society today? People just doing whatever they want with no regards to the laws of the land. Now, when we look at Psalm 9, and I'm just trying to give you a little bit of a of a, a parallel here. Psalm 9 focuses on the nation of Israel and the nations and the beast. Okay, and we talked about that the nation of Israel, the nations, and the beast. Psalm 10 is more concerned, again, with the trouble that is within the nation itself. Okay, so what it's dealing with is it's dealing with corruption, it's dealing with confrontation that's going on between Israel and the nations. Uh, it's, it, here's, a, here's an analogy, maybe an illustration to help you understand a little bit about what we're talking about. Ships are built to be put into the water, and as long as there's nothing wrong with the ship, the water really doesn't affect the ship. The ship is meant to sail on the water, it's meant to float on the water, it's meant to glide through the water, but the problem is when the water gets into the ship, when the water comes into the ship, then the ship begins to uh, start to lose its balance. It could, it could turn over. It's not going to sail the way it should. It's, gonna, it's taking on water. Well, that's what we see here in Psalm number 9 is when you study eschatology in, in, in this psalm, here's what you find is that the devil, Satan, 
has two individuals that come into view in the end times. And those two individuals, one we looked at in Psalm 9, is known as the beast. And the other one is known as the false prophet. Those two individuals are the two that will be on this earth in the coming days. So it's still, even to us, it's yet prophetic. Now the beast, when you study scripture, here's what you find is, the beast comes into the world as a world ruler. According to the scriptures, the beast is a Gentile. The beast is not a Jew. And the Bible describes this beast that will come up out of the sea. And so you have this coming world ruler, which again, many people have, have thought, what's well, going to be this person? It's going to be, no one really knows what the beast or who the beast will be, but it is a Gentile. Now, the false prophet, however, uh, according to scriptures, appears to be a Jew, interesting now, that has the appearance of a lamb. Now, again, we know Satan is a counterfeiter. Uh, everything that the devil does, he, he, he is not genuine, he's not original. And, of course, we know the name Antichrist, which is a type of Christ. It's actually the opposite of what the Lord Jesus Christ is. So you have the devil here with these two individuals in the days ahead that are going to appear, the beast and the false prophet. Now, as David is writing, and of course, as we're even reading this psalm tonight, it is this danger, this beast and this false prophet that are going to appear on the earth. It is this danger from within that actually frightens the prophet as he's writing these words, because he's thinking to himself this, that the beast, yes, uh, as you study the scriptures, the beast should arise, according to the scriptures, and it, it will threaten Israel. That is something that, honestly, even David is to be expected. Look, David in his day understood what it was like to, be, uh, to have Saul and to have Absalom and all those that were against him. David understood what that was like. But here's the problem is, is that David thought to himself, but for this to be accomplished within the nation, that's a cause for great concern. You know, one of the responsibilities in our day as the church is, is that God has given us the opportunity to be a part of his church. And even the Bible, as Jesus was on this earth, he talked about the church, how there will be wheat and there will be tares. How the, the, that even among the sheep, that there could be those that are in, in wolves, there are wolves in sheep's clothing, that they come in among the flock, not sparing the flock, right? So even in the church age, uh, that's one of the reasons that God has given me uh, the oversight is, is that if there's something that, that doesn't belong here, if there's something that the devil's trying to bring in, then as a church, we need to be proactive about that. Well, here's the situation is this isn't dealing with the church. It's dealing with the end times. It's dealing with the nation of Israel, and it's something that is within, and it's a cause for great alarm. So interesting about this, though, is when you read the psalm, that with all this in mind about what's going to happen in the end times with Israel within the nation, that David, in spite of this, never loses sight of the Lord. When you, when you read this psalm, you find that even when he was thinking about all the evil that's going to befall the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, 
David still keeps his eyes on the Lord. Now, here's the best part about this psalm, because sometimes people will say, oh, pastor, I know we're going through the psalms, but, you know, here we are, we're 2018, we're not Israel, we're the church. So, you know, what does this hold for us? Well, I'm glad you asked that, because the answer to that is this. Yeah, this psalm is prophetic, but can I tell you, it's very practical even for us today as the church. And I think you're going to see that as we go through it, because I think that many today feel, and, and I've talked to a lot of folks, a lot of people, a lot of God's people feel somehow that God is not concerned about what's happening in our day. In other words, that somehow the devil and the world is creeping into the church of the living God. You see, churches have started to lose their distinction, their distinctiveness, being a peculiar people. Uh, the problem is, look here, just like that water comes into the ship, when we allow the world into the church, guess what the church is going to start to look like? The world. So, uh, you know, again, if you think about that, now, th the context in Psalm 10 is dealing with the nation of Israel. So we have to understand the context but it's very practical. So I want you to notice three things about this because, again, I've entitled it, He Shall Reign, how long? Forever and ever. So I want you to look at this tonight. Notice, first of all, as we dive into this psalm, notice the first thought is this, I see the Lord is concealed. The Lord is concealed. Now, the writer here, he's wrestling with the prosperity uh, of those that, are on this earth that are people that hate the Lord, they're rejecting the Lord, they don't want God's word, uh, they don't want anything to do with God, and so he's wrestling. By the way, as a Christian, sometimes I do too, you know? Uh, a lot of times we think to ourselves, why do the wicked, why are they prospering? Uh, why is all this happening? If, look, if you're human like me, I guarantee you, you probably looked at all kinds of things and you've wondered the very same things and I want to give you a couple reasons tonight about this situation of the Lord being concealed. Now listen, God is still on the throne, is he not? Yes. Now we have to remember that. But while the Lord is on the throne, God is working and God's ways are not our ways. As a matter of fact, the writer said his ways are higher, you know, People, everybody wants to be an armchair quarterback. Well, if I was God, I'd do this. You know, if I was God, I'd handle it like this. Well, we're not. He is. And so I want you to look at this. When the, the, the writer says the Lord is concealed, notice about the wicked man. Some thoughts here tonight. Verse number one. Look at this verse here in Psalm 10. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble. Notice, first of all, the wicked man's seeming blessing. Now, Daniel in the Bible describes something known as the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, Jacob is representative of Israel. And Daniel describes the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a period of persecution of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and that's going to take place prophetically during the time known as the Great Tribulation. The beast that we looked at, at the beast according to the scriptures, is going to have the world in the grasp of his hand. 
He's going to have the world eating out of his hand. And get this, his cohort, the false prophet, what is he going to be doing during this time? Well, what he's going to be doing is he's going to be directing all the worship at this time towards the beast. In other words, towards Satan himself. Uh, be careful when you hear people talking about a one world order. Be very careful about stuff like that because, again, we're not interested in this world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're interested in the one who created this world, the one who is the king of this world, instead of the one that, that is going to set himself up as someone during the end times. And so when you think about this, interesting that while Jacob's trouble is going on, in other words, while we're reading about this in Psalm 10, what is God going to be doing? Well, interesting, God is strangely quiet. He's, he's silent. Let's look at verse 1 again. Why standest thou afar off? Almost like, God, do you even care about what's going on? It seems that God doesn't want to answer his people uh, while they're crying out to him. Now listen, you study the scriptures and here's what's going to happen is that when this day does come, there's a reason why God is standing afar off. Do you remember what the nation of Israel did with God's own dear son when he was on this earth? They crucified him. And so what's going to happen is, is God is going to be seemingly silent during this time period. And here's why. Because God's wrath is going to be intended to be a, a vehicle God will use to bring the nation of Israel to her knees before the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God. And so God's going to use this, but look, it's going to happen as a result of the, the wicked man's seeming blessing. It's going to look like, hey, listen, these people are being blessed. But notice, secondly, the wicked man's sinful behavior. Look at verse number two, as we just go down through this psalm. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. Now, the word poor there is not necessarily what we think about today. Somebody that necessarily doesn't have money. Now, that, that could be part of it. But when you look at this verse here, it's talking about those who are persecuted. That's the word there. The intent is, it, it says here, the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Notice he's persecuted. Now, the word wicked, again, refers to that lawless man, the beast that the word of God is talking about. The word wicked is one of those names that's synonymous for not only the beast, but also the false prophet. And David, as he's writing, David could see this lawless one persecuting the nation of Israel. David could see that. Look what Proverbs 5.22 says. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. See, David says, look, there's a seeming blessing for these folks because the Lord's being concealed. God's not doing anything. And he says, I see their sinful behavior. But then notice, thirdly, I see the wicked man's scornful boast. Look at verse number three. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. In other words, he's doing whatever he wants. And blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. Notice, he's blessing those that
that God really doesn't want to be blessed or they don't deserve to be blessed. See, the beast will bring injustice to the nation of Israel, but he'll do it worldwide. Uh, do you remember uh, what Hitler did to the Jews? They claimed that, that the, 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 the lies that they told the Jews uh, to get them to go where they went, and of course, they gave up their possessions, anything of any uh, monetary wealth at all. They claimed that, that if they roughly added together everything the Jews gave up, it was about $56.5 million worth of things. And so he spoiled them. In other words, he took from them, he, 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 he caused an injustice on the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Look at Psalm 94, verse 3. Lord, he says, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And all the workers of iniquity boast themselves. He says, it just seems like they're, they're just doing whatever they want and they're enjoying life and they're boasting about what they have. Notice fourthly, he mentions the wicked man's stubborn bias. Look at verse number four, his stubborn bias. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. You know what that means? There, there's not one mention of God in this, in this individual, this lawless one. Uh, somebody said a man's face is the index of his soul. Now they went on to describe this lawless one and they said during this time period, if you look on his face, here's what you will see. Contempt, you'll see ambition, you'll see vanity and pride. When I was thinking about that, it reminded me of someone in the Old Testament, Pharaoh. Remember how many times Moses went to Pharaoh, and remember every time he went to Pharaoh, what Pharaoh did in the end, how he would not give in he, because of his pride, because of his arrogance, because of his vanity. The Bible says, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. This lawless one, the, the beast that will be on this earth during this time that David is writing about, Listen, while, while God is, is concealed, while the Lord is silent, there's going to be a stubborn bias by this one. But then notice, I also see, fifthly, the wicked man's spiritual blindness. Notice, not just blindness, spiritual blindness. Look what it says in verse number five. It says, his ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above, out of his sight as for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. See, this lawless one, he's going to be so infatuated during this time period with how important he is that he's going to be blind to everything else, including God. As a matter of fact, there's no thought of God at all. He, he puffeth at those uh, that, that would go against him. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 15. Listen to this. Let them alone they be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. See, far above this lawless one, look, 
on the earth during this time period? Yeah, he's going to be having his way. But can I tell you, far above this realm while this is going on on this earth, there's one sitting high on the throne. And he is watching, he's observing everything, waiting for that time because in the end, the lawless one, he might puff at his enemies, but everything for a time period, yes, will go his way. Notice also about the wicked man, letter F, we see his swelling bigotry in verse number six. The Bible says in verse number six, he has said in his heart, look at these words, I shall not be moved for I shall never be in adversity. We see this one who believes to a point that he is invincible, that he is going to live forever, that no one can come up against him. He will forget that while he has this attitude, while he has this bigotry towards others, he's going to forget one thing. He's going to forget that there will be a day that he will be cast alive into the lake of fire. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8.11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily or as quickly as we think, it says, therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them that do evil. In other words, there's going to come a time where they're going to think, hey, listen, we've got away with it for this long. There's nothing to stop us to continue to do whatever we want. And so the wicked man has a swelling bigotry. But then notice letter G, the wicked man spoken blasphemies. Look in your Bible in verse number 7. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He believes, listen, he can use anything that he wants out of his mouth. And the Bible mentions here deceit. Now, it's, as you look at that word, deceit many times is a word that looks singular. But as you study it in this passage, it's actually a word that is pluralized, meaning that it is more than just one deceit. It is many deceits. It's a variety of ways that he will deceive as a matter of fact, the Bible mentions that men will be given over to strong delusions. Strong delusions. They're going, to be, they're going to believe lies of this one known as the lawless one. Uh, the beast will deceive them. He'll use great lies and blasphemies against the living God. Psalm 12, 2. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, and with flattering lips and a double heart do they speak. Now, I'm not being prophetic tonight, but I'll tell you this much. It sure seems to me like the older I get and the longer I live, that someone that I believe would be very poised to be this individual, looking at this psalm and the way it's described, is one word comes to mind, one occupation, politician. You know, I mean, you, you just think about uh, the, the flattering lips and a double heart do they speak. And this individual will be a wicked person, letter H, that has secret brutalities. And look what the Bible says here in verse number 8. As we see, first of all, we see his cruelty because he's described in verse number 8, look at this, as a bandit. And the Bible says, He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages, in the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. 
And so the psalmist says he is, he is a, a cruelty here. He's described as one that is described as a bandit. Jesus said in Mark 7, from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. I mean, folks, what a list. But it's talking about the cruelty of this individual, the, the brutalities of this person. But look at verse number nine, because we not only see his cruelty, but we see in verse number nine, we see his confidence. Look at the beginning of verse number nine. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. So he's not only described as a bandit, but in his confidence, he's described as a lion. Psalm 17, 12, like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Look, you know what the devil wants to do? The devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Even during this time, in the end times, the devil is through this, this lawless one, he's not only going to act as a bandit, but he's also going to have confidence like a lion. And then look in the last part of verse number nine. It, it, the Bible says here, look at this. It says that when he draweth him into his net, he croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. Here he's describing his cunningness, that he's described as a hunter. That's what lions do. They hunt for their prey. And this is the way this lawless one will be, is he will hunt for people. The Bible says in Micah 7, 2, the good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They, they all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with the net. So in this entire section, these first 10 verses of 18 verses in Psalm number 10, here's, here's what we need to get a hold of is, while all this is going on with the wicked one, the lawless one, the one that Satan is using with his cohort on this earth in the end times, what is the Lord doing? The Lord is concealed. The Lord is silent. The Lord is not doing anything. There's no sign of him. But notice number two, as the psalm moves on, we see the Lord no longer is concealed. Now we see the Lord is concerned. Because here's why, God's not dead, God's not on vacation, God knows what's going on in this world today. And by the way, during this time period, God's going to know what's going on with this lawless one. See, during this time, men will continue in unbelief, just like in our day. Proverbs 24, verse 8 and 9, look at this. He that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. The thought of foolishness is sin. And the scorner is an abomination to them. Now look in your, in your psalm tonight. Look at verse number 12. Here's what he writes. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He has said in his heart, thou wilt not require it. So we see the, the, the wicked man's scornfulness, how that he's going to continue in his unbelief. An individual that came to my mind as I was thinking about the scornfulness of people during this time period is back in the 19th century, there was a man by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. 
I don't know if you've ever read anything about him, but, but amazing story uh, on both ends of his life. One is that when he was very young, Nietzsche was, uh, in the, he was a young boy in the home of a clergyman. Uh, his father actually uh, died at, when he was a very young boy, and so he was raised by his mother, by his sisters, and uh, I think he had an aunt or two. And uh, somewhere along the way, Nietzsche uh, turned away from God. He turned away from orthodoxy, didn't want anything to do with God or the Word of God. And as a result of that, a lot of the philosophy that Nietzsche started to write, and of course, all of his writings are very wicked things, but as he began to write, a lot of those philosophies and things that he wrote were adopted by somebody named Adolf Hitler. And it led to many of the atrocities that Hitler did, but many of those things came as a result of the scorn that Nietzsche had with God. As a matter of fact, here's what Nietzsche uh, many times wrote. This is what he wrote, God is dead. That's what he started to tell people. That's what he started to write about. And it's kind of interesting how that in the end, that God got the last laugh. See, in the end, just like Nietzsche had to find out, and he did, that this lawless one is described here in Psalm 10 and in other places in our New Testament or our Bible, that here's what the lawless one will learn like Nietzsche did, is that God always has the last word. Now, he might not be doing anything for a time, but that time will come to an end. And so we see the concern that the Lord has about this wicked man's scornfulness, but notice he also is concerned about the wicked man's spitefulness. Verse number 14, look what it says. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite, to requite it with thy hand. He says, the poor committeth himself unto thee, thou art the helper of the fatherless. The writer here, over and over again, he keeps mentioning this word, poor. The poor. Remember, the poor is dealing with those that are being persecuted, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. He also mentions the helpless here, those that were ultimately the victims of the lawless one. And, and this individual that, that we are talking about, that he's writing about, is one that is a despiser. He detests uh, God. It, he is one that will exploit the weaknesses of these people. Notice, uh, as it says here in Matthew 26, 22 and verse number 6, the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, you need to understand something. When I'm gone, he says, if they know that you are with me, he says, you will suffer because of me. And the Bible says that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, guess what's happening to the nation of Israel in Psalm number 10? They are suffering tremendously during this time period because the lawless one who is, who is doing the work of Satan is opposing them, and we see the wicked man's spitefulness. But notice the Lord is concerned about a third thing. He's concerned about the wicked man's sinfulness. And this has always been the case. All the way back to Genesis, how the Lord is concerned about the sin of mankind. Look what it says in verse number 15. It says, Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. That's interesting. David's uh, prayer here in verse number 15. The word evil, see that word there? It's a Hebrew word 
that actually deals and means with breaking up that which is good. If you look into the New Testament, the equivalent to that Hebrew word in Psalm 15, evil, in the Greek, it's actually the word paniros. The word paniros is where we get our English word pornography from. It's kind of interesting where you see the background. So in other words, what is he talking about when he says evil? Old Testament and New Testament, here's what he's dealing with. Moral depravity. He's dealing with corruption. He's dealing with uh, lewdness here. And by the way, things like corruption, moral corruption, lewdness, depravity, uh, lewdness, all these things, these are all things that the lawless one will be promoting while, he's, while he is, if you want to say it, in power while he is on this earth. By the way, you look at the world today, that's exactly what you see. You see lewdness, you see uh, lasciviousness, you see corruption, you see moral depravity. It's just amazing some of the stuff. Peter says, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. See, David, when he was writing this psalm, David could see that even though the Lord was allowing the wicked to kind of have his way, that ultimately the Lord was concerned. And so David prays, listen, he says, break his arm. Now, what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. He's not saying break his right arm, break his... He's saying render him powerless. Lord, take away his power. Don't allow him to persecute your people anymore. Don't let them go through this. And by the way, David's prayer about breaking his arm, it will become a reality in a time period known as the millennial reign of Christ. That will happen. Psalm 37, 17, the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. See, David begins the psalm and he says, look, I know this is something down the road. He says, God's allowing me to be a part of this. He says that the Lord in the beginning of the psalm during this time period, he's kind of concealed. There's not a whole lot coming from God, just like we talk about that time of, uh, of silence between the Old Testament, New Testament, and how God begins with Zechariah telling him he's going to have a son. So the Lord is concealed, but then we see the concern because of the wicked man and what he's doing on this earth during that time period. So the Lord is concerned, but here's the best part, how the psalm ends. Look at this. The Lord is crowned. The Lord is crowned. The Bible says, the Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king, how long? Forever. He sitteth king forever. See, one day it's going to become very obvious on this earth that God is on the throne. And so what is the Lord going to do? Well, as he's crowned, the Lord will subdue the heathen. Look at verse 16, and we're just about done tonight. The Bible says, the Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. See, the heathen nations, according to the scriptures, here's what's going to happen. They're going to be drawn to a place called Megiddo, the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. Uh, we stood in the Holy Land and looked over that valley, did we not? Roman and Terry and Robert and others, we looked out over that valley. I'm going to tell you something, that's a big valley. And the Bible says the blood will flow up to the bridle of a horse. And I'm thinking, wow. 
I mean, I just couldn't even wrap my mind around that. But we know that the Lord is going to subdue the, the, the heathen, that the Lord will descend, the Bible says, from the sky, and the foes of God are going to be swept uh, into eternity. Jeremiah said, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting kingdom. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. See, the beast and the false prophet, what's going to happen? They're going to get cast into the lake of fire. And guess what's going to happen then? Satan's going to be locked up and Jesus is going to reign. That's exactly what's going to happen. That's a quick synopsis right there. But the Lord's going to subdue the, the heathen. And then notice the last thing, as he is crowned, the Lord will support the helpless. Now, the word helpless is synonymous with poor. Uh, remember, God, the people of God, the nation of Israel, they're going to be the ones going through this terrible time known as the Great Tribulation. But look at verse 17, the last two verses. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble, thou, hast, thou will prepare their heart, thou will, uh, thou will uh, cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Now the word man of earth there is talking about the lawless one. In other words, his day is over. He's had his opportunity and the time has come that the Lord will put down those that, that, that have opposed him. The Lord Jesus will rule and reign on the earth and the Lord will support those who have been put down during this time period by the lawless one. Now, when you come to the end of this psalm, I know that I, I look at things a little bit different. But remember what the word psalm means? Psalm. And so when we look at this, I mean, it, boy, you talk about a heavy psalm. You know, Psalm 9 was the same way. Very heavy, prophetic, you know. And it's almost like when David finishes this, and he finishes verse number 18, that David maybe laid his pen down, and he said, there. He said, looking over this, send that song right there to the chief musician. He says, because that's worth singing about. <laughs> that the Lord's going to reign forever and ever. I mean, in other words, it, you have to know that as a nation, yes, it's difficult to hear that they're going to go through all this. But in the end, guess what's going to happen? Satan's going to be bound they're going to be cast in the lake of fire, and the Lord will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. I'm sure you've heard of the, the masterpiece known as Handel's Messiah, have you not? And every time I listen to that, I love to hear it, and I've, I've heard so many different choirs and people sing it, and it's, it's such a beautiful piece. And it, what's amazing about it, and I'm not, a, Brother Kenny could probably enlighten you a little bit more, but something of that magnitude. They said normally takes years and years and years to compose. And they said George Handel actually in four weeks or less wrote all of that. And I love the words, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and he shall reign forever and ever king of kings and Lord of Lords. How many of you are thinking of the song right now? I'll, I'll tell you, I don't want to sing it for you, all right? But, but uh, I'll tell you what, every time I hear that. Now, here's an interesting thought. Some of you might have knew this, but when I studied that this afternoon, when, what time of the year do we hear Handel's Messiah? 
Do you know that it's not a Christmas song? It wasn't written for Christmas. But boy, doesn't it go with Christmas. And I'll tell you this, when I look at Psalm 10 now, after I have got my shovel and dug in this psalm, to me, Psalm 10 fits right in with Christmas time. Because it's all about, yes, there's going to come a time that the wrath of God is going to deal with the nation of Israel, but the Lord God omnipotent will rule and reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the encouragement that we receive from your word. And when we look at this psalm, Lord, I know I went through it very quickly tonight. But Lord, I pray that maybe the folks that came tonight, that you gave them something that they could take with them. Lord, the encouragement, even in our day, yes, it is applicable. It's practical for us, Lord, as we see that it seems like the heathen winning Seems like those that are sinning can just go on and do whatever they want. And it seems like you're not saying anything. You're not doing anything. But Lord, we know that just as you will with the nation of Israel, that there's going to come a time where this world and the, the, the prince and power of the air will have had his last laugh. And Lord, you will rule and reign. And we thank you. We thank you for being our supreme God, the almighty one the omnipotent one, King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.